This episode is brought to you by Lexar. For more than 25 years, Lexar has been trusted as a leading global brand of memory solutions, so they know firsthand just how quickly content is transforming our world. Their award-winning lineup performs second to none and includes professional memory cards, card readers, and solid-state drives for creators of all skill levels. Whether shooting photos, capturing video, or transferring content on the go, Lexar provides the quality and performance you can rely on to get the shot with confidence. I certainly do. I've been using Lexar Professional CF Express Type B Gold Memory Cards with my Canon mirrorless cameras for years, and they deliver the blazing speed and the durability for the extreme weather conditions I encounter anywhere in the world. To learn more about Lexar Memory Solutions, please visit www.lexar.com. That's www.lexar.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burnaby, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Lens, where I speak with innovative, creative, and inspiring people from around the world about photography, the arts, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and creative culture. In this episode, I'm joined by British wildlife photographer, Will Berard Lucas. Will and I met in 2019 aboard the MVC Spirit while helping lead an Antarctica expedition for Munch workshops. We stayed in touch. He sent me his newly published leopard book in 2021, which we'll be talking about in this interview. And it was just a lot of fun catching up again. Will is a fantastic photographer, best known for his inventive camera techniques and devices that allow him to capture unique wildlife perspectives that you just don't see otherwise. He's the founder of Camtraptions, a company specializing in creative technology and photographic contraptions, including the Beetle Cam and its own camera traps. In addition to the aforementioned leopard book titled The Black Leopard, My Quest to Photograph One of Africa's Most Elusive Big Cats, he also published Land of Giants and Top Wildlife Sites of the World. You can find all three of those on Amazon. His website is willbl.com and Instagram at willbl. And so now without any further ado, here is Will Berard Lucas. Will, welcome. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Richard. It's great to be here. And it's good to see you again. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's uh, four years. I think uh, so, yeah. Getting off a boat from Antarctica, I think. <laughs> the 2019 last time I Antarctica, it was, yeah. yeah. You're, you're one of the more innovative wildlife photographers working right now, I think, in my opinion. Oh, thanks. Innovative in that you, you try to show wildlife from perspectives that people really haven't seen before. And that's been your mission, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think um, yeah, ever since the early days of getting into photography, I've always, yeah, once I got over those initial stages of learning, I wanted to then start to take pictures that were a bit different and that weren't the same as the thousands of others out there that had already been taken. And so really trying to dream up um, interesting photos and then figuring out ways to take them is sort of what I uh, started experimenting with. And really, it's been a journey that's led me on to creating all sorts of things and um, yeah, sort of continuing on this journey where, yeah, if you can sort of imagine a photo, then it's just a case of uh, trying to make it happen. 
So you actually do that. You dream it up. You can see it in your head. And then you figure out a way to make it. Yeah, exactly. And with wildlife, particularly, you do have to be pretty um, creative, I guess, because there's so many challenges and obviously you can never control the animals themselves. So, uh, yeah, often it is uh, quite a difficult task coming up with ways to achieve some of these more complex photographs. But, uh, you know, a combination of, um, I guess, the inventive side, but then also the perseverance and just uh, chipping away at it again and again until eventually it comes together. And so I think that those sort of two elements are what is, what's key. But you started your public career out as an accountant. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. So uh, at university is when I got into photography, but I wasn't studying anything to do with photography. It was just um, a way, uh, you know, something I picked up as a hobby. Um, and then at the end of university, I still wasn't at a point where photography was anywhere near paying the bills. And so I left university, went and uh, yeah, became an accountant, a, a sort of career path that left my options open. And then as soon as I qualified as that, uh, as an accountant, um, I figured that was the time I had this great fallback career if I needed it. So that was the time to uh, give the photography a go. And so, uh, yeah, that was 2010. And fortunately, I haven't looked back and I haven't had to go back to the accountancy. Did you have one of those, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it any more moments or was it something <laughs> a lot more subtle? Not so that? much. I think I I always knew um, from an early age that I was going to do my own thing one day, but finding that thing is what took a bit of time. And so, uh, yeah, I knew that uh, the accountancy was a sort of stepping stone, which obviously it's a valuable thing to have under my belt anyway, it kept my options open and yeah, it was never something that I went into thinking it was going to be the, the career that lasted me forever. So you started out in 2010. Yeah. And as far as wildlife photography is concerned, you took kind of a more conventional path at first, you know, big telephoto lenses, Yeah, working in Africa primarily. Yeah. So I got into photography at university, which was then about, about 2003. And so early days of digital cameras. And it was really then building it up uh, to... 2010 which is when I went full-time but yeah certainly to start with um, it was very much just learning the basics so started off with not even a telephoto lens and gradually upgraded my gear over those years um, sort of figured out the whole tele telephoto perspective but then quickly reached a stage where um, I was yeah trying to come up with something that did look a bit fresher and you know particularly at the time back then all wildlife photography was really uh, long lens, shallow depth of field, narrow field of view. And more or less by just experimenting, I realized that actually if I could get closer and use a wide angle lens, uh, it just presented such a more um, intimate and for me, impactful perspective. And so that then became something that I started working towards in more of my work and uh, you know trying to achieve that perspective with a wider variety of uh, wild subjects. So what was your first attempt at getting close to animals and going wider than, say, a telephoto yeah. lens? Yeah, so it started with the animals that I could crawl up to. And so uh, in those early days, uh, a couple of examples were um, penguins um, in the Falkland Islands. I was able to, you know, just by being slow and respectful, uh, being on my stomach to keep a low profile, you know, the penguins would hop up to you. They're very inquisitive. And so I was able to start using that wide angle lens and get that, you know, that spectacular sort of cliffy 
backdrop that you get there. And then in Africa, I was able to do it with meerkats. We're uh, working with habituated meerkats that were uh, very used to people. Um, they would also come right up to you. And so they were two um, species that I guess uh, really allowed me to experiment with this technique. And from then, I fell in love with the perspective and it became a case of uh, trying to extend it to other projects. And then came the beetle cam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of your so, inventions. Yeah. It's a self-propelled, remote-controlled little buggy, I guess. You mount your camera yeah. and you drive the camera to the animal. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So very simple in those early days. Like basically, yeah, just finished the meerkats. For me, my love has always been Africa and African wildlife. And so I wanted to try and get this close up, wide angle, ground level perspective of animals like lions and elephants and things. And really, it just came down to, you know, kind of an obvious solution really was rather than me putting myself in the line of fire, just get my camera down there. How could I do that? And so uh, I started just by bolting my camera on top of a remote control buggy. Um, it was a very basic early device. Uh, it, you know, I fixed the camera at an angle, drove it out there. Um, I didn't have much in the way of control over the camera. I couldn't change the tilt. The camera itself was barely protected. Um, but it was enough on that first trip uh, to prove the concept. I got some good photos of, um, of elephants. Um, but the first encounter with, an, with a lion um, got a few photos of the lion saw this little buggy moving through the ground and um what happened next you know looking back was very obvious what was going to happen but the lion came up and started playing with it picked it up ran off with it as i say no protection on the camera so its teeth went straight into the back of the camera wrote the camera off but fortunately i was able to recover it uh, the camera was totally destroyed but the memory card survived and there were a few pictures on there of this lioness coming up staring into the lens looking at the camera like it would look at prey you know that's what it felt like when you saw these pictures and yeah it was enough to really uh, prove the concept for me but obviously I needed to do a lot more work to actually um, make this thing fit for purpose and be able to withstand the attention of animals like lions so uh, that was back in 2009 that I first used Beetlecam and then after a couple of years mulling it over, I decided to revisit it, uh, but to try and build a lion-proof version. And uh, that, that that version, uh, I then returned to Africa in 2011 with that. And uh, yeah, it, it survived two weeks of attentions from lions. And I haven't really looked back since then. I've continued to involve it, improve it, add a lot more capabilities to it, and still revisit it time and again in, in my various projects. And you know, with advances in cameras as well, particularly mirrorless, I'm now able to see exactly what the camera is seeing in real time, control settings. Um, I have a lot more um, yeah, control and flexibility now. And so beta cams continue to be a tool that's uh, evolved and allow me to do new things uh, yeah, from project to project. How does the most recent uh, iteration compare to version 1.0? Yeah, so now I'm probably on version six or seven and because cameras have got smaller with mirrorless, I've been able to make it more compact, but a lot stronger. So it's now totally metal. Um, I actually redesigned it during COVID when I was sat at home, had um, had nothing to do for a few months. So um, started from the ground up designing it for mirrorless. And yeah, so now it's all totally um, metal construction, very strong. And because it's mirrorless, I'm able to, as I say, see what the camera sees. I can remotely zoom the lens. I can change settings. 
Um, and so I've been using that now since 2020. Um, and it's pretty much, uh, for me, does everything I need, need it to do uh, at the moment anyway. And, and you sell these on your website? Well, yeah. So Beetlecams were the first product that I really started selling to other photographers. Basically, after the results came out, other wildlife photographers saw them and started approaching me, asking me to build Beetlecams for them. And so I couldn't really ignore uh, the opportunity that was there. So I, yeah, I did sell Beetlecams. But um, since then, I've also moved into camera traps, which is a much right. bigger market, really. Uh, you know, there's not that many people who have a need for Beetlecam and you know, wanting to drive their their cameras up to animals, whereas camera traps are more applicable in a whole range of situations. And so actually, um, for the last couple of years, I haven't really sold beetle cams. I might return to them in the future, but uh, yeah, my focus is really uh, developing camera trap equipment now. And at some point in there, you also developed your own drone, right? Yeah. Before, yeah. before DJI, was it before DJI, before they really well, became popular? Right. Yeah. So it was at the time that they were really, um, yeah, developing a lot of stuff as well. But there was a hot, you know, it was a very open market back then. So this was in like 2013, sort of time before like the Phantom came out. Mm -hmm. Um, Back then, you basically had to build your own drone from scratch uh, if you wanted it to be able to carry a camera. And so, you know, coming off the back of Beetlecam and seeing the the possibilities that remote cameras uh, enabled in terms of you know getting these unique perspectives i was very excited about drones as soon as they appeared uh, but yeah as i say those early ones you did have to build yourself so they were pretty uh they were pretty difficult to control and to use and uh yeah they were quite expensive for what they were and um yeah they took a lot of uh tinkering to sort of just get them off the ground and yeah it was quite a painful learning curve um and you know what happened what happened on your your <laughs> first or second attempt well my very first attempt only flew so i spent you know a couple of months or whatever it was building this drone it literally probably flew for about 20 seconds before i wrote it off crashing it into a tree <laughs> it was and you're, you're, wait these are carrying a dlsr too no so that well the test flight i didn't bolt my camera onto it this was a <laughs> that was before i even got the camera onto it but um they were carrying a range of cameras from from uh, like GoPros up to, uh, but yeah, basically lightweight DSLRs okay. um, back then. Yeah, so the big ones I built, yeah, were capable of carrying a DSLR, and these things were huge. They were and they were terrifying, really, because the amount of energy in those <laughs> propellers <laughs> to lift a DSLR um, and big heavy batteries. So you know, it was like, uh, yeah, probably a meter and a half across and eight blades whizzing around. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it was fun and learned a ton. Uh, but ultimately, then DJI came out with its much more user-friendly drones. And yeah, there were, there were for a variety of reasons. I sort of decided that uh, the drone game wasn't for me. But um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah certainly a, an interesting time. Yeah. And the perspective, you know, just uh, I, I you know, took it to the Serengeti before drones had sort of really been used in Africa and filming the migration with it and things and that just that seeing that perspective floating above the earth the first time it was a very you know exciting time and just uh yeah some um, amazing moments captured so that was a, sh- a short-lived experiment yeah i'm probably a couple of years from start oh, to okay. finish yeah yeah because uh, yeah uh, yeah i think it was probably i can't remember when i built the last drone maybe 2014 yes yeah, 2012 2013 2014 that's that sort of era but yeah i realized that really the strength of drones was for video more so than still, you know, you can still achieve 
that drone perspective from a balloon or from um, a helicopter, but it's really that sense of floating over the over the land uh, that you get with video that really uh, drones come into their own. And then also, you know, the, particularly for wildlife photography, um, the potential for harassing animals and even being perceived to harass them, whether or not you are, uh, people can't really look at the footage or the stills you're getting and know that you're not. So I just decided it wasn't really a, a way, a direction I wanted to go. And so I returned to uh, camera traps and beetle cams where there was more than enough for me to to keep myself busy with. Yeah, like you said, you landed on camera traps as perhaps the best way to make wildlife photographs in a different way? Um, yeah, so it was kind of an evolution really from beetle cam. I was looking for ways to still get that perspective. Really, it sort of always starts with the photo I want to achieve and then figuring out what equipment I might need to to create to get that. And so this beetle cam perspective is one that I wanted to extend further uh, to other species. Was just the but low, it's very low and very wide. Yeah, exactly. So wide, allowing you to just bring in a lot more habitat in, you know, with mm-hmm. the with the animal. And, you know, beetle cam allowed me to do that with these more bold species like lions, hyenas, elephants. Uh, but, you know, there's a whole range of wild animals out there that would never let a little unfamiliar object trundling through the grass get anywhere near them so there was a lot of animals that i couldn't photograph with beetle cam and so the obvious next step was to move towards camera traps for those so that's you know using the same camera a dslr camera at the time uh, but now it's left stationary next to the animal trail and then a sensor detects when the animal passes and triggers the camera and then the great uh, benefit for with camera traps is that then it also opens up being able to photograph animals at night because you have time to set up the camera, you have time to set up your lights, and then you can get really nice creative um, or atmospheric lighting at night using these. So for me, camera traps are by far the best way to, to photograph animals at night. And uh, you know, at the time that I was really getting into camera traps, that was when the low light ability of digital cameras was really um, coming on a long way and so it was opening up this whole world of nocturnal wildlife photography at the same time being able to use very high isos to expose stars in the sky at the same time as the foreground or you know moonlit backdrops and things like that and so um, i got very excited about photographing nocturnal animals and camera traps are really one of the key tools that would allow me to do that i I did an interview with carlton ward do you know Mm -hmm. him yeah Yeah. okay yeah that was episode 37 if you're listening at home and he did a book and a documentary film for National Geographic on the Florida Panther. Yeah. And all of the images, except for one, I think, in his book were created with camera traps. And he described just how torturous they were to set up, particularly setting up the focus. And he had all these hilarious outtakes of himself. He would be like a stand-in for the animals as he's setting the focus and the exposure yeah. and everything. Really funny stuff. Can you... Describe what goes into setting up these things, to pre-focusing, the exposure, yeah. lighting, yeah. maybe even some of the settings. Yeah, it is a painful process and definitely not one for the faint-hearted, really. <laughs> I mean, you've got all the normal challenges of photography, you know, getting a nice composition, lighting your photos, um, you know, composing them, all, all this stuff. So you really start with that. Um, then you've got to position them in a place where you're likely to actually capture the subject you're after. So you need to know a lot about, you know, the animal's um, uh, behavior and the habitat uh, before you can really even get the thing deployed. And so assuming you know those things, particularly in Africa, it's quite, uh, it's fairly uh, easy to find productive locations. If you're there in dry season, you know, then 
any of these animal trails leading to water are really great places to set up camera traps. Um, so then you, yeah, you, you'll find your spot. And then what you do is you have your, your camera, uh, a cheap DSLR is generally the, the best thing to go with, you know, either the camera you upgraded from or a secondhand one that you get off eBay or something. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you set that up with your composition and you pre-visualize where the animal is going to be in this composition. And usually that's on an animal trail. And then right next to that spot where you want the animal to be in your composition is where you put your sensor. So the moment the animal passes that spot, you know, that's when the camera is going to trigger. And so you, you really know, you know, you really are creating this photo just like you would any others. It's just that you've got to then wait for the animal to come past and trigger it. And so, yeah, your sensor then will trigger your camera at that point. And then if it's, you know, a nocturnal species you're after, you've then got flashes that need to then go off at the same time. So the camera will trigger the flashes because they need to be triggered in sync with the camera shutter. Um, so there's a whole lot of complexity that goes into it in terms of making sure these setups can run for, for long enough. You know, you, you generally want at least a few days of this thing running before you have to go back and change the batteries. And typically I, I want them to go for you know a couple of weeks or more before the battery is changing. And so figuring out uh, power efficient flashes that are, able to uh trigger um you know even after a couple of weeks instantly the moment that animal comes past uh the same with cameras all these things need to be very power efficient and ready to fire at an instant and then protecting the equipment is the next challenge you know from elements from the attentions of inquisitive animals so a whole load of housings are needed to be created for various pieces of equipment um and so yeah since uh 2013 2014 really is when uh, is i've sort of been chipping away at this making the whole ecosystem of camera trap equipment uh easier to use and uh more um i guess practical and functional uh, for deployment in the field so it, that's been a very long process because yeah, so much goes into it and then you know the other half of it is then people using it for video as well uh, so many applications there as well and, and you sell these on your website yeah so okay. uh, they're yeah they they were a product that came after beta came in away but now have um yeah basically my main focus because so many um photographers are really looking for that way to get something a bit different and camera traps offer so many opportunities there and really they're a technique that they don't really replace the traditional photography they're something you can do alongside it you know at the beginning of your trip you set up a camera trap and then you collect it at the end and you've got a whole range of other photos from that also people working closer to home what camera traps are really great for those elusive species um, so a lot of us you know living in europe or or north america some of these species that you get in your back backyard really are pretty shy and so camera traps are a great thing that you can do sort of between your wildlife photography trips uh, on your local patch and yeah i guess the key with camera traps is really uh giving it that time you know the longer they're set up for the um the more results you're going to generate. And so they're a great project to work on closer to home and uh, yeah, over, yeah, over longer we'll periods. We'll put a, a link in the show notes for those who are interested in looking into these. But I would think that the most rewarding aspect of using these is the building anticipation before checking them, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, yeah, that's almost the biggest frustration is you get used to very <laughs> and early. And the crushing is, disappointment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't get my hopes up at all because nine times out of 10, uh, when you check the, your camera trap, you do not have what you were hoping for. So yeah, it's all worth it for that one time out of 10 where the photo is there on the back of the camera. But really, uh, yeah, 
it's uh, a long process and you learn pretty early on to get that hope you know beaten out of you and you just have to keep going anyway <laughs> but i, I kind of miss those uh that anticipation like back yeah. in the film shooting days you had anticipation of getting the slides in the mail the elation or the disappointments i yeah. kind of miss that yeah exactly it's you, you you've got even less idea really of what you've got sometimes you'll come to a camera trap and you'll see you know the footprints going straight past the front of you know whatever you know line footprints in front of your camera and you'll just hope that it it went off and that you got it uh, but yeah often you don't have any idea until you look at the camera what what's on it and uh, yeah so it is exciting but equally frustrating a lot of the time <laughs> so i'm curious because um, i think the results are stunning Thanks. and the images that you get you couldn't get otherwise mm -hmm. but do you get any pushback at all from either the public or other photographers that camera traps is quote not really photography um i think Earlier on, I get less these days, but, you know, I, anyone who says that hasn't really tried it because, <laughs> as I say, a lot of you know, all those new, all those considerations of photography, as I say, the lighting, the composition, all of that is still there. And so you're very much approaching it as a photographer would approach any photo. It's, it, you know, it's only that picking your moment to, to trigger the, uh, the photo that uh, is sort of taken out of your hands. But uh, yeah, it's a, uh, Certainly, uh, when I'm creating a camera trap photo, it's certainly no different a process to if I'm holding a camera and composing a photo using traditional sense. So, and I think, you know, particularly in wildlife photography, camera trap photos have become more and more prevalent, you know, over the years anyway. So it's definitely becoming, you know, there's less of that uh, these days than there was in the earlier days, that's for sure. We'll be right back to the show after this short message. This episode is brought to you by Case Filters. Look, I travel the world with my camera and I can use any photography filter I like, and I've tried them all. In recent years, however, I've landed on Case Filters. That's Case with a K, K-A-S-E. Case Filters are made with premium materials, HD optical glass, shockproof, zero color cast, round and square filter designs, magnetic systems, filter holders, adapters, step-up rings, everything I need so I never miss a moment. And now my listeners can get a 10% off the Case Filters Amazon page when they visit beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and use the coupon code Burnaby10. That's beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and coupon code Burnaby10 for 10% off your Case Amazon order. Case Filters, capture with confidence. So you're working in Savo, which is a park in, in Southeast Kenya, mm -hmm. and you get a phone call, yeah, which would be the beginning of a certain quest for a certain animal. Yeah. So yeah, I, this is an animal I'd, I've been obsessed with the, my whole photographic career, really. And that's a black leopard, a black panther. And, uh, you know, for me, there are animals that you, you're aware of since childhood, you know, through stories like the Jungle Book. Everyone knows what a black panther is. But, you know, photos of them in the wild, particularly 10 years ago um, or longer ago when I was getting into photography, were basically either non-existent or just very low quality snapshots, fleeting glimpses. So it had always been a dream of mine to photograph one in the wild, but not really one that I ever expected to achieve because they are so rare. Um but then, yeah, I ended up just by chance on a phone call. I heard about this one that had been seen a couple of times up in Laikipia, another area of Kenya. And 
the, the moment I heard that, I knew it was an opportunity. I had to at least pursue, you know, try to pursue, even if my chances were very slim, even if the thing had gone, you know, it was such a um, a dream subject for me. I had to give it a go anyway, even if uh, even if it wasn't likely to result in much. So as soon as I heard that, I, I started following that lead, and within uh, four months, I'd uh, I'd got all my equipment to my camera trap equipment ready uh, and uh, arranged to go to this lodge, Lycipia Wilderness Camp up in Lycipia, uh, where they'd seen uh, this leopard a few times and uh, yeah, start this project to see if I could get a photo. And really, I just wanted a photo, any photo at that stage. Um, and to be honest, uh, yeah, as I said, I didn't, I didn't really expect to get anything at all, but I figured give it a go. And so went up there and this was now beginning of 2019. Um, I got there, had five camera traps, um, and uh, the the uh, the main. This was, uh, this was a young male that had a smaller a smaller range than say a, yeah. a, a bigger male, so it was so, easier to maybe easier a bit easier. <laughs> well, yes, when the when the leopards are young, they have a much smaller area. They're still in the area the territory of their mother, and so at the time I got there, this young male was just at the age. So the, the the male was black and the, the mother and most of the other leopards in that area were spotty leopards. But every now and then you get this um, recessive gene that means that you can get a black panther as long as that gene is there in the population. So, yes, there was this one black young male and he was at about the age where he was going to get kicked out of his mother's territory. And so when I got there, I had this uh, pressure, not knowing if I was already too late and if he'd already been pushed out of the area. But... Um, Anyway, I spoke to all the people there. So it was basically on this neighbouring plot of land. Uh, the uh, the landowner was called Louisa, and she had a team of um, Ascaris and um, and uh, basically like rangers. And they'd been seeing this leopard. They were really the ones that um, sort of helped me pick places where they thought this leopard was likely to to be going. You know, these animal trails and things that it might be using. And so with their help, picked some locations and set up my camera traps. And within a few days, uh, I got the first photo of it. Uh, yeah, just a completely mind-blowing moment. But then, uh, yeah, recognizing that this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so I basically spent the next year just photographing this leopard. Moving so you my didn't camera stay traps there the whole time, did you? No, so oh. I, I settled into a pattern where... Uh, the first trip was two weeks, um, got that first selection of images. But then uh, thereafter, I probably returned once every six weeks, something like that. I would set uh, set the camera traps up, go away for six weeks, come back for you know a few days, move the cameras around or, or tweak them as I was sort of aiming to tick off certain shots. And so really, it was until uh, yeah a whole year until basically COVID happened, which sort of curtailed my travel and basically forced me to stop for a period. Um, luckily, because otherwise I probably would have kept on going forever. But <laughs> yeah, it was a, a, at least a, a year where I was um, every six weeks or so going out, moving the cameras around and trying to build up a body of work around this black leopard. So in your TED Talk, you say this, quote, the greatest accomplishments are realized where the margin between success and failure are narrowest. This would qualify, Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I invested a lot of time and effort in 
going to set up these camera traps without any guarantee whatsoever that I was going to get anything at all. And so, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, taking those chances to try and achieve something that's different and noteworthy does mean that you're often risking failure, total failure (laughs) without achieving anything. But that's what you've got to do to get to get these things that haven't been done before to get these photos that are a bit different is uh, take that risk. And then the narrowest of quests would be to capture one of these black leopards with the night sky in the background. I mean, everything would have to be absolutely perfect for that. Yeah. So yeah, leading into this project, I'd had this obsession with photographing animals at night. And really through that, I'd been trying to photograph much easier to photograph species, but trying to yeah expose night sky and get this, um, this really immersive nighttime feel, you know, the feel of these animals in their nighttime environment. And so I'd been on a long quest already trying to photograph animals like hyenas in this way. And then this black leopard project came along. And for me, this black leopard was the ultimate, I guess, creature of the night. You know, it's it was almost invisible in, in all situations in the night. And so a black creature in the black of night, the the opportunities for showing, you know, being creative and create, uh, creating dram- dramatic pictures uh, were sort of unrivaled. Uh, but yeah, then extending that and combining these two things you know the rarest most uh stereotypical creature of the night really and then these techniques to to expose the night sky uh it became my dream and my new obsession and so i spent six weeks working uh, six months sorry working towards getting this photo of the black leopard under a sky full of stars and uh and yeah eventually after six months of really that was the main shot i was after uh i managed to get get that photo and that became the cover of your book, which I'm holding right here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So one of the, uh, the, the one with the stars is, is on the, uh, yeah, the, um, under the dust jacket. Yeah. Right. And then, right. Yeah. Yeah. So how were these images of black leopards and that particular image with the stars received online, the public, your editors, what was, what was the response? Yeah, so I guess the biggest response was to the first pictures because uh, at the time, photos of wild black leopards, particularly in Africa, were incredibly rare. You know, there were hardly any and certainly uh, no good ones, uh, you know, sort of the high quality uh, camera trap images that that I managed to get. And so, um, yeah, it was quite a, a lot of media attention really snowballed um and uh they spread far and wide because they were just such dramatic photos of this uh black black animal with the, the you know all you see is the eyes um so they yeah that went crazy far exceeded any any sort of uh experience i've had in the past of images going viral um and uh, i guess after that then uh, the next release I did was the star images. That was when, you know, in the in, in the meantime, I had done that whole year long project. I hadn't released anything after that first batch of images. I'd then just done the book and got all that ready. And then I released the star image. And again, that, that went viral, not to the same extent as the first batch of images, but, you know, they're, they're I think people often... Uh, do like the story you know, they like to hear the story behind how some of these really challenging photos are taken almost as much as they like looking at the photos so a picture like that that's both striking and then has this whole um, story behind how i was able to accomplish it um yeah it's it's a uh, ready-made um 
stuff to be recycled by uh, news outlets and stuff. So again, did well. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a sort of the, the thing that my book was working towards uh, that sort of finale for that. So yeah, uh, just a, yeah, I guess a dream come true really. And uh, lucky in a way that um, I was forced to stop that project because the leopard moved off uh, shortly after. Oh, it did. And yeah, so he's still around and I still pop in on that area once or twice a year. Uh, to find out how he's getting on but he's now uh, a much older male roams much further and gets displaced from time to time um so yeah it would be very hard to uh to do another camera trapping project like that so i'm sure you remember very well that moment when you checked that trap yeah. and there that image was how did you feel that very moment uh, when i mean you looked at it and you was like there it is i think yeah that very first one before I even knew I was going to get a, any photo at all, you know, it's, um, yeah, just the most incredible f- moment. And, you know, your heart always stops, but then also you have this fear because on the tiny screen, you can't really tell is the image focus. sharp? Is it in focus? Yeah. Is it, is it, um, yeah, exposed. Okay. So then it's a case of whipping the card out and getting home as quickly as possible to get, check it on the computer. So I didn't want to get my hopes up because again, that's the experience you've had where you think you've got the photo and then you only put it on the computer and realize that you, it's totally out of focus or something. So it's then a, a race back to the computer, uh, sort of imagining best case scenarios. And then yeah, when I got it on the computer and realized that I did have what I hoped, um, yeah, it, it was a feeling that took a few, a few days at least to sink in really just, um, yeah amazing why why do you think this animal resonated uh so strongly with the public and your social media followers yeah so i think um you know in this day and age it's pretty rare to be shown something new and you know we have such mastery over the natural world these days that for there to be anything out there that hasn't been seen or photographed to death is pretty rare so i think uh this sort of when I release these pictures and you know, people then, you know, showing that, you know, there are still these unexpected wonders out there, these, um, yeah, um, amazing, um, moments and creatures just going about their lives, uh, that, yeah, there's, there still is that sense of mystery. So I think, um, I think that's probably the, the, one of the reasons, uh, that they did well plus obviously mystery. the fact that it is so yeah the mystery yeah yeah it's a, and it's just a secret such, sauce it really pulls viewers into an image it's yeah. having a sense of mystery exactly and i think that's what this whole project was about and you know that that's you only get that once you know now obviously people are used to seeing the, these black leopard pictures and other people have been you know, photographing black leopards so that's gone now so yeah it's where that where's that next uh that's that next sort of special creature or moment going to come from and i guess those are things that sort of you can't really go out and pursue so much they they end up just uh, finding you when you least expect it in a way how else have you used mystery in your wildlife images if at all good question um (laughs) uh, i guess yeah you're often trying to aren't you i mean i think i think again working at night there's so much that you can't see and really you only see what you are able to illuminate through your you know, through artificial lighting or whatever it is. And so I think photos at night do have a lot more mystery. And we as humans are so much less comfortable in the night, particularly when you're working somewhere like Africa, where you're totally out of your element. There's a, you know, a hundred other species out there that are much better suited to going around at night and uh, being in their element. So I, I always find working at night and the photos I'm able to capture at night, I think do have 
a bit more of that you know definitely and and a sense of uh yeah being out of your element and so for me that's probably is one of the reasons i keep returning to it because uh that yeah you can just the 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 opportunities for being creative are just so um widespread at night you know working with lighting working with um you know all these different creative effects that you can do with lighting and ambient light and uh you know stars and moon and stuff so much potential there to 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 create these uh atmospheric images let's talk about your entrepreneurial impulse i mean you're a photographer you'll always be a photographer but i've heard you say that there was a point where image licensing opportunities were plummeting mm-hmm. and this flood of new photographers getting into the market yeah. and you just basically decided the best entrepreneurial avenue wasn't necessarily competing but but making these photographers your customers and making yeah. products and services that they wanted yeah exactly. aside aside from the beetle cam which you don't sell anymore or the camera traps do you have anything else that you use um to sell that 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 entrepreneurial impulse of yours? Yeah, for sure. And I'd say that really entrepreneurship was something I was into before photography, even it's always been a part of me. And so I've always, you know, back in the early days of uni, I was creating websites and web businesses and various uh, things like that. So I've always had that. I, I, I've loved creating businesses and that side of things. Uh, but always those businesses kind of fell by the wayside as I lost interest. It was only when I discovered photography, which obviously is kind of this lifelong passion now that I found my uh, niche, I guess, that I would focus on uh, and not lose interest after that that exciting building phase. And uh, yeah, to make, I got into photography, at, you know, already uh, the, the writing was on the wall for traditional ma- means of making a living as a photographer. You know, it was already digital had already come along. There was already this explosion of people coming into photography as serious you know, very proficient amateurs willing to give images away for free almost. So yeah, the, you know, advertising revenues and things like magazines were dropping. So I could see before I even went full time that it was a declining, uh, I guess, area of, uh, you know, you know, place where you could make a living. So uh, it was kind of obvious to me that the, the big opportunity was this huge influx of people coming in wanting to do photography. And so, the opportunities there for selling equipment, um, teaching, travel, all these things, um, you know, massive market. And it was then figuring out uh, where my, uh, what I would end up focusing on. And I've tried over the years, all sorts of things. So before, uh, when I first went full time, I was thinking actually that I'd probably end up running uh, photo safaris and workshops. That was really the plan I had, that's what my wife signed off on when I said I was going to quit my accountancy <laughs> job to do photography. Uh, but in the end, I never really got around to it because I, I found that my travel was, yeah, you know, I always wanted to do my own thing. And I had so many of my own projects on the go that I didn't really have time to do uh, workshops as well. And so that never happened in the end. But um, but I, you know, started, uh, you know, I experimented with ebooks, with e-courses, uh, selling advertising on uh, websites that, you know, for photographers, mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of things. And really, I think anyone that sort of yeah, getting into this as a business, I think what's key was that process of just experimenting, trying lots of different things, uh, trying to be innovative, and then identifying eventually if you, you do find something that has, gains traction and works, you know, identifying that and then doubling down on that. And so for me, that point came when I started 
uh, turning some of my inventions into products for photographers. And then, you know, I guess things kind of took off from there and I realized that was what I would double down on. And so since then I've, I've sort of let, you know, the, the eBooks and e-courses and workshops and all those things kind of uh, go. And I focus now on the equipment really uh, for most of it. And then for me now, my photography and my photography projects, I kind of don't worry too much about how I'm going to monetize them. They are more like the brand building, uh, the marketing collateral for my uh, right. my equipment, really. So I'm going to go back to that Black Leopard real quick. Mm. That high that you felt after getting that capture, yeah, it's like a drug. I mean, once you've gotten a taste of that high, you want to experience it again. Yeah, maybe sure. even a higher dosage, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so what's next? Well, exactly. How are you going mean, to get that high again? Yes, that, that's the question I've been asking myself ever since. You know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's certainly it's uh, kind of the pinnacle and very hard to follow on from that. And so, um, after that project, I, I figured, you know, looking for something similar, you know, something as rare as striking. You know, I was never going to find anything really to compete with that. And so, actually, I kind of went back the other way i decided to do a project on lions but really then focus on uh photographing them at night and you know trying to show them in a new light so i've got a completely different challenge now it's a much easier subject to find and to to uh, to photograph in a way but then i'm now having to be much more creative and innovative to get photos that haven't been taken before and so i'm giving myself a new challenge it's uh, yeah not not sounds now. great is that gonna be now. a book too yeah, so the aim is to make it a book. But the the thing with the lions is, you know, they are so well photographed and there's so many great photos of them out there uh, that I really want to do it justice. And so it's a project that um, I've already been working on for, I guess, three years. And um, I don't really have an end in sight because I just want to keep, you know, while I can still imagine and think up photos I want to get, I'm going to keep working on it until I feel like I have done it justice. So I'm not quite sure when that project will be done and when that book will be ready. But um, I've made good progress uh, so far. Uh, there's just a few uh, areas where I still want to uh, yeah, keep going. Where are you doing most of your work on the Lions? So again, in Kenya mostly because, so uh, I guess one way I found that I need to work is really to have established um, a, a bit of a base, really. I've got so much equipment with camera traps and beta cams and stuff. I, I leave it out there. Just to get around and have the flexibility um, to, to to do these projects, I also need my own vehicle. So I have a vehicle in Kenya. So um, for the last uh, since 2017, I've focused on Kenya because that's where I've got my my vehicle and my equipment. And so this line project um, it got a bit disrupted in in COVID when I couldn't go to Kenya for a few months. So I then started going to Tanzania and brought that area in as well. Uh, but really, most of it's in Kenya, where um, you know I've got a lot of. Um, I, I now know it so well and have um, a lot of sort of opportunities there where I can work as I want to. The name of the leopard book is The Black Leopard. Yeah. My quest to photograph one of the Africa's most elusive big cats. Yeah. Where can people buy it? Uh, just on Amazon um, is yeah, probably the easiest place to look for it. But Or, or if you want signed copies, you can come to my website, willbl.com. Uh, but yeah, it should be fairly readily available from online bookstores. Will's website is willbl.com and you can order the book there and get a signed copy. Your Instagram is also at willbl. That's correct. You've got a yeah. big following. All these images we just talked about are there if you want to go check them out. 
Yeah, I've sort of yeah, I've dropped the ball a bit on Instagram recently. I don't go on there that often, so yeah, I'll have to have a look. Will, thanks for coming by again. This has been this has been great. It's been too long. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. It's been fun speaking to you and catching up. We'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot, All right. Richard. All right. Take care. Cheers. You too. You've been listening to Beyond the Lens with me, Richard Burnaby. Thanks to Will Berard Lucas for a highly insightful conversation. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. You can tweet me at Burnaby Photo with any comments or feedback. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'd love to hear what you think about the show and what you'd like to see from Beyond the Lens in the future. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, beyondthelens.fm. Here's to truth, adventure, and passion. See you next time.